0: Welcome to the Social Education Podcast for the National Council for the Social Studies. My name is Jane Lowe. I'm a former high school government economics teacher in Austin, and now I'm an assistant professor of social science education at Florida State University in Tallahassee. Uh, I was the guest editor of the section on project based learning, or what you'll hear us refer to it as PBL, in the most recent issue in the January February 2018 issue of Social Education. And I have the honor today of hosting and moderating this podcast with some of the authors from that issue. I'm here, uh, joined here today by John Lamer, who is Editor-in-Chief at the Buck Institute for Education, where he wrote and edited Buck's Project-Based Curriculum Units for High School Government Economics and the PBL Toolkit series.
1: Hi, hey Jane. Nice to be here.
0: Uh, I'm also joined here by Stacey Brinsilver-Berman, who taught U.S. History for 10 years at Edward R. Murrow High School in Brooklyn, New York. She's currently a doctoral candidate in Social Studies Education at New York University. Hi, hey everyone. Uh, Last but not least, we have Rob Halleck, who teaches social studies at Sammamish High School in Bellevue, Washington, just outside of Seattle. Hi, Jane. Welcome, everybody, all the panelists. Thanks for being here. And thanks for sharing your work with all of us in the most recent issue of social education. So if I could, let me start off by asking to tell us a little bit about how you sort of got into PBL or maybe why you like PBL so much, especially for the social studies.
2: I'll start, Jane. Um, this is Rob. And I, uh, I got involved without knowing I was involved in PBL. So I was doing a lot of um, simulations in class. Uh, and I had been doing things like that, like many social studies teachers, mock trials, debates. And what ended up happening was our school uh, got a grant from the Department of Education to uh, transform our curriculum that's when I began to have the time to think about problem-based learning and broadly across what it looks like across a class and was fortunate enough with my co-author of the article, Katie Smoot, to have uh, a, some release time to really think about what are the big questions in our class and that was AP World History.
3: This is Stacey. I actually started doing PBL work when I was teaching Um, Before I went into the program that I'm in now, I was doing some work with a couple of people who are now my colleagues at NYU, also my co-author on the article, Diana's and also Jim Frazier. And we would create these units, and then I would bring them into my classroom and be kind of like the guinea pig, doing them with my students and seeing how they worked and how they could be more widely applied than just our little academic planning group. And we started with the unit on the Great Depression that I took into my EPUS. Classroom, and then did in my general level, and then actually took it into in ELL level, modified the documents, modified the sources, the expectations—not um, the rigor, but you know the tasks—and we just started designing a bunch of units like that, and then I would go into my classroom and I would teach them. And it totally changed the way that my students understood the information, the way that they related to the information. I'd been teaching for about eight years by that point, and it was amazing to see how the light bulbs were going off over their heads in different ways when they really became immersed in what they were doing as versus learning it in more you know, traditional, so to speak, Ways So through that work and through all the different units that we started designing, PBL became more and more of a part of my own teaching, and then once I went over to the academic side, it became part of the work that we did, especially um, Diana and I started doing with teachers more widely throughout New York and a little bit in other parts of the country, keeping up with designing the units and sending them out to other teachers to use.
1: Yeah, and I got into PBL uh, as a teacher also. Like, like Rob, I did mock government, uh, mock uh, Congress, and mock Supreme Court hearings as a government teacher. And uh, in history, I did some other simulations and, and other kinds of projects. When I got to the Buck Institute in 2001, they were developing problem based uh, government materials, as well as uh, finishing up some economics units. So I helped with those and really saw the power of those. Well, as, as has been said, really engage students and get them to think more deeply. I do want to say that we, we call those problem-based, and you might hear project and problem-based, both PBLs. They're two sides of the same coin. They're really just a very minor stylistic difference, but they're really the same.
0: Thank you guys so much for sharing your experiences. And I'm curious, from your various perspectives and experiences with PBL and social studies, what has been the most challenging for you, and what have you learned from
3: those challenges? Stacey, let's start with you. I think that the biggest challenge that we've faced is trying to toe the line between coaching the students, helping them along the way as they're engaged in these projects, but not interfering too much. Learning where that line is in terms of really trusting that the students are going to do what They need to do what you need them to do, what their classmates need them to do. Um, A lot of the units that we designed that I taught that we now ask other people to teach involve groups of students learning from each other. Um, So you're really putting a lot of trust in these kids that they're going to do the best job that they can so that that piece of the puzzle, so to speak, is clear to the students who didn't focus on it. Um so one of the most challenging things that I faced that um I think that Diana and I would agree that we faced in terms of designing the projects is knowing exactly what the role of the teacher should be because as a teacher I know as a teacher for me I was so used to you know having the, the last say and so much control um and giving that up was hard for me um I imagine it's also really hard for other teachers and really knowing exactly what my role should be was a challenge. And I think it's a challenge that other teachers that I've worked with have faced also.
2: I want to, this is interesting. I want to add on <laughs> to what uh, Stacy said. This is Rob. Um, we have so much to cover for at least for world history. Uh, one thing I've learned is just less is more. But having said that you can also get more by, creating what we call need to know. So we try and set up projects that uh, simulations where you not only need to know your own part, but you also need to know what this other team's part is. And what we found is we do something called the diplomacy challenge, which I wrote about in the article. And the goal of that is to be an early modern empire and negotiate the best treaty. So you and we start with knowing about your own empire, but you also have to figure out, well, who are my allies in this room and who are my adversaries? I, so going back to that question of role, which I think is really important that Stacy brought up when it's working. Well, I'm a kibitzer. I'm an agitator. I kind of go around and say, did you hear what the Ottoman empire said in that primary document about you, the Safavid empire? And, uh, and did you see what the Pope just did to the British monarch? He he kicked her out of the church. So, Spanish Emperor, what does that mean? You know, are you gonna lie with the with the English and and kind of just positing questions, agitating, when necessary, talking trash to to create heat within a historical context? Because I think that's the challenge. How do we get kids um, engaged and interested? And so that they need to know, they go out and like, what, we better, fi- we better find that other information out.
1: Yeah, Rob mentioned um, a lot to cover. I think that's one of the challenges for history teachers is to not think they have to cover all 400 years of history with you know, marching through all the events and names and dates and places. So it, it means sort of giving up, sort of trusting that if you go deep on certain topics, kids will appreciate history, they'll learn to think like historians, they may not know what, you know what some battle was in the Civil War, but they'll know some deeper things about the Civil War. So giving up the need to cover everything, hoping they're gonna remember it for some test on Friday or at the end of the semester, when in fact, of course, they forget a lot when he just delivered information in a traditional way. It sinks in much better with PBL. So, so tr- take that leap of faith and trust. what that also might require is not thinking of, PBL, of, of history as a, a course to be taught chronologically thematic approaches to history often work better with PBL because you can tie things that happened in the past with other events leading up to today.
0: Yeah. And I just want to piggyback on something that Rob said, you know, in terms of the need to know, like making sure kids have a need to know the things that they're learning. And one of the things that we did in our project-based learning government course is not just making sure there's a need to know, but also what we call looping, like this notion of, you know, rather than covering every single thing to the detail, we sort of go over it maybe peripherally at one time and then come back to it so that the kids could see how one particular topic ties into multiple different ways. And, and I see how that works in history as well because we have these themes that like John was mentioning, these themes keep coming back. And so helping students see the major themes and the movements and those kinds of things, I think really helps strengthen their understanding the critical thinking and the analysis that we want them to really understand about what it means to learn history rather than just sort of the individual facts. So thank you guys for that. Um, so I know this you some of you talked a little bit about this, but if I could ask um, you to give our listeners sort of one singular piece of advice about doing rigorous PBL, so not just you know fun projects and things, but rigorous, true, rigorous PBL work in their own classroom, what would it be? John, let's
1: start with you. Make it as real as possible. So connecting history to students' lives, their communities, Issues today that our country or the world is facing, uh, that really helps. Because students think of history sometimes as just this dusty subject that happened in the past, no connection to today. So that's that's important. Um, the other thing I would say is, sorry, I'm giving two pieces of advice, but uh, <laughs> would be, um, trying, it, it has to do with keeping it real, though. Having some kind of an outside audience or outside connection. So... It's not just students making a boring PowerPoint presentation to their classmates and their teacher again, which we know how effective those are, right? They're usually just regurgitating information. They've cut and pasted from the web. So finding a real audience, which in the case of a simulation might be, you know, just viewers of the mock uh, Supreme Court hearing, people an, an audience you've invited in. It could be parents, other people in school, community members, and even more powerful would be local experts, like get a couple of lawyers or law students or Somebody with expertise on the topic, local historians, professors, anybody you can find really who knows about um, the topic or who would be interested in hearing about the topic. Like it could be if it's local history, then community members could be the audience for students telling stories about their town's past or how their, what their city did during the Civil Rights era or during World War II. So finding ways to make it real for students really ups their engagement and ups the quality of their work.
2: So John, I want to push back a little on the PowerPoint uh, (laughs) piece, um, only because I think my advice would be there there are content requirements for any PBL project, some basic core things they need to know. So for example, in a a diplomacy setting, information you need to know is intelligence. And all of a sudden it becomes, I've got to gather this intelligence to do my job well. So the PowerPoint situation, rather than have PowerPoints on 10 different empires, we have intelligence briefings on 10 different empires, which after each presentation, I'll say, okay, uh, students, uh, diplomats, talk to your partners. uh, How much do you want to engage in trade with this particular empire? So there's kind of constant processing of intelligence and kind of referring back. Not all PBL projects allow that, but I, I think, what I found is that's what generates the heat is when there's something that connects all the different players and gets them to have to know what other people are doing. Research may not be as much, but the need to know, I think, is a key, a key piece.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, Rob. And that's an example, I think, of an authentic use of PowerPoint. I mean, in a real setting like that, people would communicate using PowerPoint. And that happens all the time in you know, the UN or the the government. So that's an authentic use of PowerPoint to really communicate information the way people do in the real world.
0: So Rob, did you have any other piece of advice you would offer our listeners?
2: I would say, you know, what is that lesson that you are passionate about? Or what is that simulation or piece or that question that maybe led you to be a teacher? And take a look at that or that, that lesson that engages your students. So what's the larger question of that? Could you build, as you think about how you start, if you want to begin to uh, do PBL in your classroom, how can you build back from that question? What are some authentic uh, scenarios, problems that go along with that question? And um, use that. Because part of what gets people, students excited is to see their teachers excited around those questions.
3: Building off of the idea of making it real and making it relevant, which I think is one of the most important things about PBL as well. One of the things that I like the best and that I would advise teachers to do in planning a PBL unit is to make it focused on real people. Students spend so much of their historical education learning about these big names and learning dates and wars, all of which are very important, where students are really going to sink their teeth into what they're learning is when they're learning about real people and how real people experience these events that they know these rough sketches of, but that maybe they haven't learned what different communities were experiencing in that time. And the depth that PBL allows, I think, lends itself to studying history in that way. Just to refer back to the idea of the Great Depression, you know, to learn about What the workers were experiencing, what the farmers were experiencing, because immediately, like a 16 year old student is going to think Dust Bowl, but it's so much deeper than that. Um, You know, what were the artists doing? What were the union members doing? What were the kids doing? Because then history isn't this foreign thing that happened to people a long time ago who were nothing like them. It's something that happened to regular people, that regular people were involved in and experienced and were exhilarated by or devastated by. And you can really do that in any time period. And suddenly history actually is authentic and is something that's alive. And then if I may also offer one small second piece of advice, I think that one of the things that kids like the best in PBL is when they have ownership over what they're doing. And I think that making that really clear from the get go, either the first time you do a project or if you're going to start you know, a year long journey in which a lot of what they do is PBL, letting the students know, making them really understand that what they're doing is the same thing as what a historian does discovering things, doing research, using primary sources, that this is historians' work and that the work that they produce is their work that they own, that they created, not just something that they're reading out of the textbook or that somebody's handed to them. And then they're empowered, and it helps with the need to know with the engagement with the discovery because it's their work that they are doing. And I think instilling that... Um, raises their level of engagement and interest in what they're learning about.
1: Can I offer one more um, sort of reassurance to to social studies teachers? Absolutely. They may think hearing about PBL, they have to jump all of a sudden into all PBL all the time. Mm -hmm. And we sort of always say it's okay to start small. Just do one or two projects a year to start. Get your feet wet. Get experienced with it. Don't pick really super ambitious projects to start where you have 10 community organizations and 17 standards and all these different products students are creating. Sort of be more, um, you know, a little bit less ambitious, your first project, keep it simple. Even find projects online, like on our website, project search tool or other places that you can adapt for your classroom. You're not having to invent a whole new project. And then once you start doing it, you'll get more experience. It will come easier to you and your students will be used to it. And I think they're going to want it.
0: Well, that is all the time that we have for this episode of the podcast. I hope you have learned something new about rigorous PBL through these brief conversations and now have something new to try out in your own classrooms. We just want you to know that deep learning is actually possible through PBL. So more information about each of our work can be found in the January, February, 2018 issue of Social Education. All of our contact information is also listed in that issue. So feel free to contact us if you have any questions. A great big thank you to the participants today as well as to NCSS and Social Education for giving us this opportunity. Thanks for listening.